Before we start, I have a quick word from this episode's sponsor. The University of Nevada, Las Vegas invites artists to apply for the Fall 2024 Masters of Fine Arts program in art. UNLV's three-year fully funded program with an emphasis on creative practice offers 24-hour access to private studios, graduate assistantship funding, and opportunities to engage with a dynamic roster of visiting artists, all within the unique context of Las Vegas. We welcome artists from diverse backgrounds who want to participate in the dialogues within contemporary art and culture through art making and exhibition to apply by February 1st, 2024. Visit unlv.edu slash art to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. I want to first say my heart goes out to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas community following the tragic shooting that occurred on December 6th. Through the podcast, I had the privilege of connecting with many at UNLV, and my thoughts are with you all. It's important to acknowledge that while prayers and sympathies are extended, they can only do so much in the face of the ongoing issues surrounding gun violence and the accessibility of firearms. This recent event is but one of the many somber reminders of the urgent need for meaningful change in gun control. How exactly to do this I myself am still figuring out in a country still glorifying guns. This incident ties into some of the concerns I'll be discussing with this week's guest Ali Fathalahi, an Iranian artist currently residing in Las Vegas. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak with Ali's wife, Nanda, and you can listen to that conversation as well. Ali holds a Master's of Fine Arts from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and went to the Azad University of Art and Architecture in Tehran, Iran, for his Bachelor's of Arts and his first Master's of Fine Arts. Ali works in a wide variety of mediums, such as sculpture, light, and performance. In recent years, his work has examined the contemporary obsession with survivalism, both as a lifestyle and an ideology, often driven by fear and nostalgia. During our conversation, we delve into topics such as the challenges of language, the use of humor as a coping mechanism, and how pop culture influences our fascination with survival kits. As always, stay safe and healthy. And I hope you enjoy this. Exactly, exactly. I had a chance to come home at seven and had the lot. I had a late lunch, and I'm ready now. What were you? What what, what kind of work were you doing? Uh, actually, this is this is a part of moneymaker jobs we do. We go to events and we do cartoons from faces. This one was the second time doing this for this company. They are doing cartoons in an event in hospitals for kids. 
And most, uh, unfortunately, most of these kids are dealing with cancers or, you know, mm. harsh diseases. Yeah. They're trying to just make them like a superhero that they can believe they can get over the sickness. Yeah. It's cute at the same time, sad events, you know, but yeah. How was your day so far? Mm, my day just starting. It's right now 11 a.m. Oh, yeah, so I'm happy to have you, you know, on the show and talk to you. And but yeah, hopefully everything goes well. I'm as nervous as Nanda, maybe more. Really? Because I usually have a phobia from public speaking. It's really weird. Oh. And I didn't have it in my own language. Yeah. But it, it seems that I have it here. But anyway, I'm okay. Hopefully I can make through it. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, like speaking a language that isn't your native language is really scary right yeah. you it just everything it feels unnatural right Definitely. you also know you're thinking in your native language a lot more clear and so the difference and the gap between the two uh, is more pronounced to yourself i think exactly actually i made lots of pieces based on this concept in the last few years and sometimes even putting the audience or viewer to in my spot to experience the same thing you know and sometimes I'm forcing people to learn one word every time. Sometimes it's a weird experience or a little more abstract. Sometimes it's super simple. I made this installation a few years ago. Actually, it's going to be a part of upcoming show at Barrick Museum. It's super simple. And it, I think it's not only about the language, but it's a big challenge. It's super funny at the same time, the humor. I love the humor behind it. It's just a heater in front of a cooler. And they're blowing toward each other, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I really like about your work is, what, and I saw the images online, at least, the use of lighting. I think your lights are really wonderful uh, in terms of the use of color. And so I'm curious, how did you kind of get into these performance aspects into your work? And I guess, what was that transformation like? Uh, actually, this started many years ago. Uh, when I was back home, I was a little shy. I was uh, a graphic design uh, student. Actually, it started even before university. Back home is like, I think we got these from old European schools. We usually have these private schools with the instructor. You go there and you do drawing, you know, you do painting. Sometimes you talk about things, philosophy and mm -hmm. everything. And I got involved with one of those, I think, in 97 or 96. 97. Okay. Yeah. So you were in high school or? The end of high school. I was end a little lazy at the same time. Lots of things happened. And I finished my school in seven years instead of four years. And that's a different <laughs> story. But anyway, uh, it was in the last few years of those high, finishing those high schools. And yeah. I got in these course uh, classes and I was super excited about learning about art and how you can be an artist, how you can have your own uh, language. Everyone can see, understand the piece or at least get something from it. And in between these, uh, we used to do a short, it's really hard to put it, like use the word performance, but it was performative. It was mostly like short sketches of like a theater, you know, it's like a, a theater. Ah, okay. Yeah. It was a story based, you know, um, but yeah, we were yeah. to be super creative about those. And I started doing those more and more and more. And everyone was thinking, oh, this is the guy who goes to the shows every night. That's the reason he's so active in it. 
And it was exactly opposite. I didn't have the money to go to see any examples. I was just trying to be creative. And just, I found it really interesting to uh, make the connection with the audience and everything. And these mini sketches for theaters, like what would you do? How long were they? Uh, it depends on the concept. Sometimes there were like few seconds to few minutes. Sometimes mm. we picked a short story or uh, even a joke to play with it. You know what I mean? And so, uh, mm. and later on in my own classes, I created this practice with my students. It was like exercise, forcing everyone to join. Uh, at the break, we had some cookies, teas, coffees or whatever. And we had this bowl. Everyone was writing a word and putting it inside the bowl. And you are, we had the camera turning it on and the students were sitting in front of the camera on a chair, picking just one random word from the jar. And I start talking without saying what was the word, acting about that concept. Mm-hmm. Imagine mm-hmm. if the concept was being sleepy, you have to act without just saying the word or just pointing out the yeah. word. I was just trying to force them to be a little more creative, to finding different ways to approach the same concept. I always did the first one because I just want to show them, just don't be shy, go crazy, go have fun. Yeah. And after that, after moving here and we had the chance to join the program one more time, uh, MFA program one more time, I decided to involve those aspects of my works more than before. You know, I just try to push it even as... If I'm making a normal sculpture, sometimes uh, force you to engage with it more than, you know, uh, the previous work that I created. Uh, so as I understand, you you already started doing these sort of performances at the end of high school, but you, you then went on, to, uh, before coming to U.S. in 2012, you, you also got a master's in illustration, I believe, in Tehran. Yes. Uh, so yes. were you, you were still doing performance the whole time or was your MFA sort of this hybrid with illustration performance? Exactly. It was the hybrid between these two, but it was more focused on the image based on it. You know, okay. I usually pick the medium based on the concept. Right. If I need it, I put it to a performance or something else, video, photography, painting, whatever. That was the years, actually. I start adding more performance layer to everything. Uh, one of the installations I had during my midway show at uh, UNLV, everyone wanted to be inside the gallery. Everyone is excited to having their show at the gallery we have for uh, midway shows, but I decided to leave the gallery empty. It was on the uh, glass on the right side of the gallery and the word empty was on it. And a Farsi word, khali, it means the same, empty under it. If you walked inside the gallery, you have to just go and wander around. What is this empty gallery doing? And in one specific spot, I put the sensor and the sensor was activated when you were passing it. And the word was playing was, the code was playing was, this room was empty until the time you showed up in Farsi. It's like this room, in uh, And that was the beginning of the journey of the arts. Because I put different pieces with different words, different side of the campus. Then people have to go and find the map go find the other words in different part of it. Uh, actually, I asked one of my friends to cook a Persian soup and serve it. Uh, my, my mother-in-law served it in a cart that I made. 
as a stand. Mm -hmm. The stand was combination of a neon sign of the word of the food in Farsi and English. And it was a video, the process of buying ingredients and cooking and serving it. And she was just serving the dish the way we do it at home. Uh, but the difference was she was forcing everyone pronounce this specific soup. It called Ashreshte. And if you didn't uh, were able to say it, you didn't get the soup. Uh, she was forcing everyone to just pronounce it right. To pronounce it right. Yes. And so how strict was she on the audience pronunciation? Really? <laughs> I thought it's going to be a super hard word to pronounce it, but 99% they were super uh, successful to doing it. I think a lot about pronunciation myself because, you know, my parents come from Hong Kong and I grew up in the U.S. And so like as a kid, I started out speaking Cantonese, but then by the time I grew up in elementary school, I kind of forgot all of it and <laughs> spoke English. And then right now I'm back in China and like I'm learning Chinese at the moment, but it's like, there's something strange about like, even knowing that like, I might be even mispronouncing my own name in my native tongue, right? In different times. And just also how difficult it is to get like that perfect pronunciation. <laughs> I can get definitely. So at this moment, I think as I understand it, I assume your interest in language and your relationship to the land kind of amplified? Because I assume before that you were working primarily with Farsi, you weren't really thinking about the, using the English language, right? What was that kind of whole experience like coming to the U.S. and coming to Las Vegas? Uh, because even before coming to the United States and like learning a new language like Turkish was hard too. And I'm not a smart per person learning new languages. I'm sure there are people they can speak different languages and they are really fast to getting it. Unfortunately, I had a friend in Turkey, she passed away and she was able to speak eight languages. Wow. And uh, I was always jealous. But anyway, everything started in Turkey thinking about how hard it is if you are going to uh, talk about your emotion or your concept or the feelings when you don't have the connections when you can um, put the right word in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I wasn't really successful learning it in uh, Turkish. And I was sure that I'm not going to stay there. Then I start focusing a little more on the English during the Turkey and after that first few years here to learn it better. Because uh, Nanda's parents forced her to go to school and learn English even before Farsi writing and reading. You know, She started super early. And you can even uh, see the difference in my accent and her accent too. But I'm just saying, I, I started everything in 2000, almost nine. I was passing the school courses because we, it was a part of it too. And in yeah. high school and elementary school, even at university, I have to be honest, 90% I cheated, you know, uh, at all of those courses to just pass it. I didn't know one day it's going to be everything. You, language you have to want to learn. Yes. You know, exactly. it, it, like there's no way around it. I realized that because I, I failed all my foreign languages until until like I set my mind to learning Chinese and I was like, oh, okay. Like I think I can sort of m see progress because I, I mentally want to do it. Sure. Yes, definitely. Yes, that's it. You know it. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Uh, but, but I didn't have the platform to show it. I didn't mm. find the right way to present mm -hmm. it. 
I think between 2012 and 2015 we or 16, we joined the program. I was trying to learn more and more. I was watching lots of TV shows to just get how people are speaking, you know, because when you're writing in those, uh, what should I say, like learning how to learn English books, it's super different from you're watching a friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or something. Like that. I was forcing myself to watch TV shows to get involved with the culture. What did you like? Uh, I watched everything. Uh, I watched Seinfeld last and I loved it more. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's just, I've watched everything. Uh, Humor doesn't translate very well. Exactly, exactly. But anyway, uh, I always wanted to add humor because I always had it in my works and I wanted to be a part of my practice too. Everything was just like learning how can I have the same type of humor, dark humor that I had it in my own language, having it mm. here and in my works. Mm. Do you remember kind of what was the first piece you kind of did that you think did those things you wanted to do with humor and language? Uh, the first piece didn't have humor. I think it was a, a little even sad. Because the first word I picked was Salam. I had a friend helping me carding videos from every beginning of TV shows or movies or news back home. He found everything on YouTube or different uh, platforms. He was just carding Salams, different Salams for me. What I decided for the first one I'm always interested about different objects. Uh, I have this crush on objects and learning more about everything. Uh, mm-hmm. I found out the difference of the usage of black lights now and in the beginning. We didn't have much black lights back home unless it was a specific, I don't know, theater location, uh, you know, a specific show or something. Yeah. We didn't use it much. But uh, our friends here, they always had it in teenage when they were teenagers. That those years, nineties, yeah, yeah. they were super and popular. Clubs here. And, and bars, it, exactly. And it was it's a part of entertainments, you know, and everything. Yeah. But the, at the same time, I found people are using it in these days more to find what's behind it. You know, but people go to uh, because. Sometimes uh, they don't trust to the uh, to the hotels or motels. They go to motels, turn on the black lights to see if they washed uh, sheets really carefully, or if there is a camera inside the room, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was watching these at the same, uh, learning different objects and how you can use them for mm-hmm. different purposes. At the same time, just doing those researches, finding and cutting those words. And I decided finally to have an empty frame, having the black lights behind of it, having the words of Salam in a Farsi neon, orange neon on the top, means hello, cut it from paper, just normal typing paper or writing paper, and put it in front of, actually in the back of my frame. The frame was standing from the distance, uh, a far distance from the wall, and when the light was going on, the black lights, you could see means hello. And the idea was when people got getting closer with the sensor, they're seeing salam, but they don't get what those shapes means because they were in the calligraphy, Farsi calligraphy. But within sensor, sensors goes on, you are going to see, oh, that shape means hello. Mm. And I start adding those carded footages and everything to this installation. I, I start using different 
TVs, old TVs and the projections. And, and in the end, it was a plaque room with different TVs, different projections upside down on the ground. And I just wanted people to just come and walk through these lights and projections to see and to experience the actual uh, words. And the best part of the installation, my favorite part was the neon sign was sound activated. Then every time the video was saying salam, the sign was going on again, you know, just like salam. And going off, mm-hmm. alarm going on. Then it's just mm-hmm. emphasis of learning this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this the first one. I think it was super sad. The experience was so sad. Why was it sad? I think uh, this uh, actually I wasn't the first person mentioning it's super sad having those words. Actually, those uh, words going over and over with upside down images on a floor. And people were just standing on it. I was at the same time having this experience at different jobs. When you're talking in a different language with your phone, people are start changing their reactions. And I was just trying to force everyone to just be familiar with something. We had this conversation a few days ago with Nanda. There are lots of products here now with Farsi or Arabic alphabet or calligraphy on it but since it's a nike it's super cool but if i have some my back home they don't know what it is it might be you know something yeah yeah whatever you know uh i was just forcing to just this is just a language Uh, you don't need to be afraid of it one other trigger for this was there is this comedian maz jobrani he's persian too he moved here uh you know to the states 10 years ago, uh, he's definitely a little older, I mean, and he always have this joke. Uh-huh. He says, when you guys go in airport or you are sitting on your seat in airplane, or between your words, even you're talking your own language, just shoot some random nice English words between. Like you are saying, Mamanjun, Kazachie, Tutti Furti. And, you know, so he was just always making the joke to just, yeah. then everyone knows you are peaceful. You are not terrorist. You know, you are not. And he made this TV show called I'm Not Terrorist, but I played it at TV. Uh-huh. I was watching and listening to his works, having my own experience and trying to create a piece based on the same concept. Mm. And this piece was done what year? This was the first piece that I did late 2016. At this point, you had started your second master's at UNLV? Exactly. And so what was the reasoning for going back to school for another master's in art? I I was supposed to join the program one year at least after Nanda or two years to work on my English. But for some reason, they had this opening position and they asked me to join. And I told them I'm more than happy, but you have to be kind a little to me because I'm dealing with this situation. But in the end, I'm really enjoyed it. We both really enjoyed it. But the main reason was finding new friends, getting involved with the community. And I was watching the university from the distance, being really far from the community in law, art community in Las Vegas. And I was trying to find a way to connect these two. Because it seems, for some reason, they have been not working great with each other. Like the communities are not working well together? The community, exactly. The local artists, Mm. 
But when they are active in their own way, they get far from the activities at UNLV. Right. Outside of academia, basically. Exactly. I just want to be involved in both mm-hmm. and see good, positive and bad things and see how we can do more often. You know, I'm not even that I'm successful now, but I have seen both sides. You know, if something is happening, I can at least talk about the case, talk about situation and finding a way to fix the issue or, you know, always it's not the issue, finding the best way to make the connection, if it makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that's an issue all over, right? The, the people who are in school and universities and academia, and then there's the people who are outside. Some, I think some cities have it more integrated than others, but oftentimes there is definitely this disconnect between the two. And just like with every art community, there's there's a multitudes of art communities out there, right? Yes. Some overlap, some don't. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, your involvement with the community after you got in? You know, what did you learn about bridging the two communities? I also know you you did a lot of community work when you were in Tehran. You had this educational center, Paper Wings. So I'm curious, like, what did you do in Paper Wings and how did you kind of take those things that you learned and applied it to, you know, your experience in UNLV? At Paper Wings, it was a combination of whatever we have learned before and uh, learning with the students inside the studio. We had this studio and we always, always had uh, courses. I have to be honest, seven days a week, I was teaching, we're teaching at university or teaching in our private school in our uh, own studio. And we tried really hard to push even ourselves to be a little more engaged with the younger generation. The goal was showing them how they can use art to be their language. In a country like Iran, you have to censor everything. It's not easy to talk about different subjects. Even in a super simple comedy TV show, you can add some extra layers then people can mm-hmm. understand, people can start like learning, changing the society or something. And I was just trying to use every power we had to create this path for our own students to be a better person first and learn how they can talk about the situations, unpleasant situation we had back home. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's the same situation here too. When you're out of United States, you think United States, it's this big, open, free country and everyone is talking about and sharing about everything, all the feelings, everything. But when you're in it, you're going to see, oh, there is no difference from this specific group and that specific group back home. I I think it's super close to each other. But the main difference between here and there is as a person coming from a third world country, if you want to call it that, we have learned to be active and to go crazy deep in learning process. One of the reasons I decided not to teach anymore was I was having the same energy as 2005, 2006 back home at UNLV, but the result you're getting from your students is not the same level, you know. Where's not the same? The, the, the new generation you are seeing at the schools, I, I know it's different timing. It's a different area. They are coming from a different background. 
but it seems every they wanted everything to be super simple. Mm. Definitely, you have Bob Ross. The way he's just doing these are the brushes you are going to do. Uh, yeah, the, the cloud, paint the sky, these are the, the clouds. You know yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's like. They are. They just want everything to be ready. You know, it's just mm. uh, not being afraid of failing. You know, these are the things we didn't have it back home, or it was less than here. I was one of those people. Every time I was having a failure, that was a step for the next activity. You know, I just wanted to mm. see how can I use this this opportunity to do it better. How should I change this to a different technique, different medium? You know. But after saying, okay, my friend, let's talk about this case. You know, this is not personal. I'm just criticizing this piece of work you created. You're a second year student. Have you ever seen this artwork? No, go check it out. You have to do this to fix this. And the next week, no one touched their pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no, you know what I mean? And again, it's half semester gone. They are still working on the first assignment. Yeah. Everyone else is just passing. You know what I mean? This is the difference, I think, between, I don't know, the cultures, different generations. This is the media, internet. I don't know. Everything is like a social media. You just need to click on it to see something. Yeah. You have yeah. to go YouTube, you know, watch YouTube. We have to go to libraries in that timing to go do a little research and in the end you will find oh okay they they censored this book like that was the code you were looking for it and it was a black marker on the code you were like reading the whole book to finding that part and it was already censored you know what i mean at the same time just saying it's not about the criticizing but maybe it, it wasn't my cup of tea anymore you know, I decided not doing it more and more. Mm. But the courses I had here, I taught drawing at the same time, uh, intermediate 3D design 108. It was really good. It was, I really enjoyed teaching and having the, the conversation between my students and myself, uh, even trying to force them to do a little more than what they asked us to teach. And they mm. asked them to do you know i have seen students changing the majors i was so happy to see few students say oh okay i decided to change my major to come to art or i'm going to do this and now i'm going to force myself to get my bfa in art and i'm really happy to see those but the percentage of the changes was just little so small yeah comparing to the big you know yeah i mean i think it's hard right like you especially in the u.s where you pay a lot of money it's you know way more money and it keeps going up more and more and and sometimes I think mentally it's hard to come to terms with you know learning art and you know everything that's going around right I think that's that's maybe on our students' minds I mean it's on our minds too right but I think we're a little maybe perhaps a little more established I like to think <laughs> you know. I usually get, I have to be honest, I usually get lots of my ideas from the pop culture, but at the same time, I think those layers, pop culture added to art in last 20, 30 years is not always successful. And unfortunately forced the students to cliche more than art. Yeah. And it's really hard sometimes to understand it because they do that skill really good. Yeah, yeah. And it's really hard to say, are having this skill but this is different you know what we call it art but yeah that's a different conversation yeah yeah i mean i think you know teaching is you know different and not for everyone 
and definitely if the students aren't, because for me at least, I find teaching in the right environment, you know, fulfilling in the sense that like students are there to learn and want to learn, but also I think students can be very helpful in terms of they're also there to teach you. Okay. You know, they're 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 in a different generation. They're thinking in a different way, and they're exposed to different uh, resources and pop culture, like you said. So, exactly, exactly. You know, it's flowing together. You and your students. It's just you're doing it together. If one part is not active, this card doesn't go away, you know, it doesn't go further, yeah. you know, yeah, you yeah. should move. But yeah, that's it. But at the same time, I really enjoyed it. I have to be honest. I had a great time always with my students. So hopefully they did it too. Yeah. And so I guess I was looking through, you know, some of your other works and I saw you, you described that you use this term survivalism as a critique. So I'm curious for you, what does survivalism mean to you and how does that sort of enter the work that you do? Sure. Um, I started working in this concept in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. What happened was the shooting happened in Las Vegas. Mm. I was teaching in that day. I was just, uh, I got at the university super early. I was waiting for my students. Only two showed up. And we didn't know what happened. Then suddenly everyone started posting and talking about it. And these two were just crying, afraid, just, and I was just trying to find a way to create some warps for it. And I had a chance to talk to faculty in that time. And they said, just be careful. You're coming from a different background, different color skin and different mindset. It's a really tricky subject to work on it. Maybe you should go deeper in layers to see how you can find a way to play with it. And I started going digging and the concept of why we need to keep guns more than any other countries. Why? And I started just learning about the culture and relationship of the culture and the movies and everything. Uh, one of the examples I had in one of my pa- friend's paper was back home. I never wanted to have a gun mm. because you don't need it. Yeah. And I was watching these couple movies as a kid and I loved them. They were just super cool. They were just shooting everything. Mm. And I was just having feeling okay maybe i should have one i should play you know you're still getting it it just goes in your mind uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, later on the rainbow movies comes up and you're seeing rainbow opens the back rainbow of the snow everyone yeah exactly and this I don't know. He has the survival kit inside this knife. You think, oh, okay, it's so cool to have it. But a few years after that, you go do research. You found out, oh, they sold lots of this knives in that yet. You know, later on, there is this famous movie called Hunted or Hunter. I forget that that now. Mm-hmm. And they are introducing a new generation of this knives. It's a survival knife, half machete, half axe. Call it Tom Brown knife. And you, again, do research, you will find out not only they sold out the first generation, they sold out the second generation, they sold out the third generation, and they are just repeating it now and now. And you are finding the relation of the consumerism, capitalism, you know, in these products. You start seeing them as products and forcing people to believe need to have it first of all it's cool to have it but if you want to survive you want to do this you want to do that you need to have it at the same time it's really interesting when people start believing in these topics it's like religions 
they just go yeah. deep in it. They think yeah. it, this is the only thing. Um, I have three different Instagram accounts. The first one is just my own. I'm using it as my art practice. The second one I created in 2015, I think, or maybe later, if I'm not mistaken, was start doing the research of these type of communities. Because when you are not with them, they don't share those information with you. Right, right, right. I start being a part of the survivalist communities, you know, outdoor communities. Not all of them, I'm just saying, having the same, you know, mindset. But I start just going and searching, buying products from them. Even there is a guy like sells two every month. I got one of them. You know what I mean? I'm not only talking about the mass produced ones. Uh, even the one is just super customized. And I start just collecting these items, talking, thinking, uh, sharing the ideas with the friends, hearing them. They are talking about the family members they had. You know, all of these experiences and the histories. And in the end, the pieces I started creating was based on hoarding these things we don't need to have. Mm. Or uh, it's it's like your kitchen. Uh, you need to have a knife to cut your fruit. But when you have 20 knives in your kitchen and your fridge is empty, something is wrong. You know what I mean? It's, so I started doing these installations and first i uh, definitely emphasis on this concept in my thesis show i uh, even asked one of my friends to join me i created this fake video advertisement created these funny survival kits like the one is super popular now they're like subscription you go buy it and they send you the things you might even need it ever so what's in this kit uh, uh, like imagine I had this, I don't know, two feet of a rope around a marker. I was just saying this is 30 feet of cyber uh, something cord. Okay. This marker never finished and you can use the marker for self-defense. I had, I don't know, different things, adding uh, stories, you know, um, it was lots of things. I don't even remember them now, but I believe uh, university has some boxes. Really? And I have definitely my collection. And every box was different. Most of the boxes didn't have any real items in it. It was mm. just random ones that I made them in my sculpture. And I was watching the sculpture yard for the university and I asked them, okay, guys, I'm going to create some weird items here, but these are for my show. If you see, I'm making a sphere. The reason is this is a part of artistic practice, you know. Were, were they worried? Uh, sometimes the students, like younger, like first, second, second years, they were just looking at me like a crazy guy. But I had to explain it every month to just know, okay, this is a part of the piece but anyway i think at least one to three of the boxes had these real items that i made as sculptures but in the end she was walking around she was talking about these the people are still buying them and i was super surprised i told them you can sell these boxes if you want and end of the night she said oh i've, I've sold 400 of those and i said okay everyone helping this show let's go have dinner on me with this money we made the, i'm just saying it uh, I start adding these performative part of the piece, not engaging the people. I start having people helping me 
to bring this to life more than before. And how would you perform with them? Uh, the whole show was like a bunker. Uh, the whole gallery turned into a bunker house and you were entering in like closet, a closet room with cans and everything. Even instead of uh, opening night foods like uh, snacks and drinks, I was just giving people batteries, cookies, ration foods or uh, canned foods, you know. When you were entering inside the show, it was all dark in the beginning. And you were start noticing different lights coming from different sources. The main light was coming from this big installation in front of super giant size a space blanket. That I put it in a vertical wall of the gallery. I believe it was 20 or 30 feet high. And I was projecting the process of making Rainbow Knife in the scene of the movie with the actual music on it. And it was all playing over and over. But since it was playing on a space blanket and my log, you didn't see anything. It was like reflection of these lights connecting every fragment of the show all together. And you were walking around, you were just a start noticing different sculptures. Like in a corner, I had this piece of wood. It was a knife sharpening attached to it. And I had these two rainbow knives have been sharpened too much. They almost cut it in half. Since I didn't want to leave the machine on during the show, I decided to mimic it and I record the sound and the sparks of it. And I put it inside the small projector, hide it inside the piece. And people were seeing, were seeing these sparks and the sounds and everything, but the device wasn't on. Most of the lightning of the show was with the batteries. Then it means like in the beginning of the show has a different lightning of the end of the every shift and you some you have to go and change it or you have to go and take it or leave it to be done. Uh, I really like that way, like someone was coming, fixing a light, even in the middle of the show. And you're in a show, you're trying to forget whatever is outside and you're just remembering, oh, this is just a show again. Uh, oh, okay, I'm inside the show. This is supposed to be art this is supposed to be something else but anyway i played with this idea different sides of the gallery on the second floor i had these two sculptures in front of each other one of them was this giant size wooden battle hammer i learned that from one of the survivalists he was just making these and teaching these online if you are in jungle or in a zombie apocalypse situation you're going to create this to just defense yourself and I made it huge it was it's impossible to move it in front of it I made this uh, wooden shelter shape with the leftovers of the supplies that I found in our backyard and I'm just saying that why those specific wood pieces uh, I covered them with the fabric and I got one of these uh, I don't know have you ever seen those or not there are these lights that are just mimicking TVs it's like TVs are on when you're outside of the house and you are seeing some lights changing inside the house, you think someone is in and they're watching TV. Oh, it's like a security messer. Exactly. Mm. They are making those. They are super cheap on eBay or Amazon. I think mm. 12 bucks, 15 bucks or something like that. But one of those and it was inside that sculpture. It was like a shelter, but no one is in it. But the light was going on and changing right. and just mimicking right, right. the lights and the reflection coming from the first floor. The reason I picked those specific materials, when we moved to this house in 2016, 
We knew the owner lived here for more than 70 years. It only had one owner before us. We noticed all of these metal bars all around the houses. It's not normal in Las Vegas. And we start seeing and finding random items that I found out, oh, okay, this guy was believing being a survivalist mm. and being living. Even in backyard, we had a pool, but he turned it into a greenhouse. But the way he made it can collect all the waters coming from the rain, uh, like a inside a spot, and you can grow plants and everything in it. You know, mm. Even he had to call him for making his own bullets and everything. You know, like yeah, we found oh, and we talked to neighbors and everything. We found that oh, he's coming from this specific religion. And he has to, based on this mindset, he has to be ready. A few years back, we had to open one of the walls and we noticed under the wallpaper, it was these wooden bars. You just need to push this and they would pop up and it was hidden pantry inside the wall. And we found from maybe earlier than 50s canned foods inside the wall, like uh, corns, hot dogs, everything. Did you open them? It's only one survived, but you don't want to, I'm sure, you don't want to open it. <laughs> but even some of those are totally dry. It's just, you can shake it. There is no yeah. liquid. Wow. And those wooden pieces was the rest of the house. And he was just always breaking down some part of it. That was the reason I started using those wooden pieces in this culture, in my thesis show. Yeah. That's sort of pretty crazy to think about. I mean, and also I feel like with the current state of the climate and everything, it, it all feels actually more pertinent more now than never, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I just need to add this. When you force people to believe in apocalypse, in a situation, in disaster, you can't force them to be ready for those disasters with those weapons. You know, in the end, I found that, oh, I'm the, maybe I'm the only person in those groups that I don't have any firearms. I have lots of knives because they collect it based on the same concept, but they believe in it. They don't want to lose this opportunity to keep more and more and more. And that was the start of the criticizing, you know, some people get it, some people not. But this concept is ongoing project. And the reaction of my own show, I'm creating some other pieces in the future. Uh, I am doing the sketches. It's going to be how a Persian survival kit looks like. Mm. So what's in that? It started with the super cheap fabric. They usually make those suitcases because it's going to be the lightest one you can get as the immigrant. Okay. When you want to travel outside, it definitely needs to have a wooden case. And it comes with different parts. We love our Persian rugs. Definitely Persian rug is going to be a part of it. We are addicted to some of these cookies or, you know, our own foods. Uh, a part of it, the ingredients should be a part of it. At the same time, funny, definitely religion is going to be in it. Even if you are not religious, you always have these, you know, feelings. Music is going to be a part of it. And really specifically... Uh, music from my own country i'm just saying it i'm working on it these are going to be freestanding sculptures next to each other could become a big installation can open up can fold it with different items there are in it yeah 
And I think it was it's sort of interesting. I didn't really make that link, but like how these survivalist kits, they also have a story behind each one, like you were saying, and each of these individual objects are imbued with cultural value, right? Like, Definitely. you know, you buy them because they have these cultural values to it in the same way that these art objects do. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And again, uh, with connection to the pop culture, sometimes we didn't have these values before media, before TV shows, before movies. If you go do a research, you are going to see different timings that they could sell weapons in the United States more and less. And, and no, I'm not talking about the times that everyone thinks they're in danger of attacking another country or terrorist, uh, a terrorist attack or something like that. I'm mostly talking about like having a specific genre of movie coming up and going down or like uh, the time like the cowboy genre comes in and we start like selling these products and going down again and everything is changing now we are at the time we don't kill indians we need different subjects to play with and just what is better than zombies to kill young you know they are not human anymore you're not going to be worried about you know anything else no one can yeah why you kill that i don't know like persian a zombie he was a zombie i i killed it you know because i want to survive and you know it's just having these connections are really interesting to see it you know i'm sure everyone is not going to notice it even in the end but it's just good to point out for the people who are more open to absorb it yeah yeah you know as we're winding down i don't know if there are any any last things and any questions for me thank you for uh giving me this opportunity to be a part of it yeah thanks so much for talking with me i appreciate it have a good evening thank you thank you bye seeing color is recorded edited and produced by myself ziwan chong original music by alex chow you can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pot. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.